I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, we are exploring some big topics today with mindfulness and meditation. Did you know that mindfulness is sort of the big umbrella and meditation fits under it? I wasn't totally sure about that. Have a really incredible guest today who part of why I wanted Mari to come on is I find her just to be such a, I just find her a really interesting person, to be honest. And I wanted, you know, all of you to see how wonderful and interesting she is. I think that, I mean, and obviously things like mindfulness and meditation are incredible and important and can change our lives and all of those sort of things. However, I find 90% of the conversation around it really annoying. Mindfulness is is defined as the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. A mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. Meditation is defined as the action or practice of meditating. I think that there's this real push to sort of simplify these things in our our society, especially in American culture, and act like, you know, if you just do this or you just do that. And I think it's cool, you know, like I think a little bit of something is often better than nothing. However, I really, really appreciate today's guest, Mari Orkin, the way she practices these things and discusses them is explaining a bit the why and a way to, I think, frame what you're after in these practices in a way that feels so much more permissive and expansive than just like, I want to meditate so I'm a better person. Like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? So Mari is a contemplative educator, psychoanalyst candidate, and writer. Her work lives in the space where contemplative practices, Buddhist psychology, and psychoanalysis intersect. Mari holds a master's in arts, is certified in contemplative psychotherapy, and is certified and is a certified meditation teacher. She supports individuals, corporate teams, and groups with contemplative practices, guiding them on a journey of self-awareness, exploration, and integration. Mari has collaborated with Mocha, the, I guess, Marciano Foundation, Loom, Apple, DoorDash, LA Dance Project, and more. As a native Brazilian immigrant with Hungarian roots living in Los Angeles by way of Spain and Mexico, her multicultural perspectives and backgrounds are continuously informing her work. I mean, what a bio. Should we just get into the episode? I think so. Please think of this episode with Mari as a little bit of an amuse-bouche for these very big topics because I wanted to come back and I'm curious... Do you have questions for Mari? Feel free to email them to me or you can slide into my DMs. I think that the way that Mari breaks things down is just so impactful and helpful. So we are already planning to do another episode. If there's things you'd like, you know, to hear her take on, like, of course, uh, reach out with questions. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. 
Uh, like I said to you before we started recording, I'm going to say it again so it can be people's introduction to you that we were not in the same Fariha class, but when we got that special class that we got to join forces, I knew immediately that I was like, I don't know who, I don't know who this Mari gal is, but I'm intrigued. She seems very smart. And I Googled you immediately and was so glad that I got to connect with you in that class. And then I think I signed up for your newsletter and you do this incredibly, I think, beautiful newsletter. Like it's so, I so appreciate it that there's a real organization to the way you're exploring these massive topics and you'll do a newsletter like on, I think like time and grief. And it's like a beautiful story about the Jasmine tree or, you know, and these things. And I'm like, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm thinking about life. I'm making sure I schedule in to attend your meditation on the last Monday of the month that I was like, when it comes to mindfulness, meditation, these things, I knew I wanted to talk to you. Mm. You were like the only person I wanted to, to talk to about these things. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about these things. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you even... You know, I think at this point, like when people talk about mindfulness, self-care, we've gotten really attached to, I think, some of the more consumerism definite or I think people have come to it for a quick fix. And I appreciate that you seem to be gently reminding people none of these things are quick fixes. None of these things are, you know, meditate for five minutes and your life is totally different. but. How do you define mindfulness and how did you even get into this work? Because I I think you were in art and, and fashion maybe prior. Yeah, arts. But I I think that you're right. Mindfulness became this sort of word for everything. So then when something is like everything, I feel like there's also the other side of it, which is like, you know, the other side of the coins. Like if you're everything, you also can, can be nothing, like because it means nothing. Yes. Know, it's the, Mm-hmm. It is sort of like a, a sad thing about how, you know, big concepts that are so old and valuable get diluted, right? In this sort of fabric of how we get information and connect through very quick posts, right? 30 seconds real, yeah. one minute real, whatever. I don't even know the, the time that they allow <laughs> for those. Um, so... The movement of mindfulness becoming this sort of like instructional, you know, quick fix type of thing, it really became more strong in the 80s and 90s as they were developing the neuroscience and research around that practice. Mm. But it was never meant to be its own thing like that. Like, oh, take an eight-week course and then you will feel like how your blood pressure will get better or, you know, it was a way for us to measure the impact of these types of practice in the brain. That's one thing, right? Mm. But then the other thing is how is this going to be part of our life? And what are we talking about when we're talking about, you know, mindfulness 
and what we were talking about when we talk about meditation, which is a different thing. Which I didn't really know, to be honest. When I first started getting into these things and I came into mindfulness through eating disorder recovery of mindful eating mm -hmm. and, and intuitive mm -hmm. eating. And then when people, you know, I think my therapist was like, you know, there's like a whole thing with mindfulness, <laughs> you know, like, like, it's kind of a big thing. Like, this is a niche of it. And I was like, no. And she was like, I, th I think you would like it. Like, I think it would be very like grounding for you. And it's true. Like I thought I did think mindfulness, I think was meditation. And I think I at first thought if you were living mindfully, <laughs> that it was almost like a monk's life, you know, <laughs> that you were just constantly like, I am in my thoughts, I am reflecting, you know, and then, and I would sort of put that pressure on myself. And then I was like, I am way too dumb for this. <laughs> you know, I was like, I am way too into like, you know, like dumb shit. And then I think I found, um, meta meditation mm -hmm. and that helped me start realizing that they are different things so i'm glad you brought that up because it really did take me a minute to understand they weren't the same things and i think it's a common misconception <sighs> that no one will i'm like i'm willing to admit i didn't know the difference i'm like i don't think other people are always as willing to admit it <laughs> no i mean it's so true like and why would we know right like this is just yes. not something we learn when we're little like it's not a, like a common information that so yes obviously there's a lot of misconceptions and i'm not saying that meditation is not mindfulness what i'm saying is that there is a mm -hmm. larger conversation right in which meditation is part of the mindfulness umbrella let's say it or put it that way yeah. i think meditation is often talked about it as its own thing too like oh you know meditate and it's not like that too um we cannot leave out other concepts that are also part of the meditation practice, which is what we call the tree juice in Buddhism psychology, for example, right? So there's also the wisdom part and there's also ethics and meditation. So this can also become a very like more profound conversation. I'm not trying to like, you know, lecture around that. <laughs> but what I think it's important for us to ask, or if we are interested about to know more about mindfulness is in which way this practice can start to be integrated in my life that feels possible, right? That I am not mm -hmm. trying to use it to improve myself or to fix myself it's not a, a green juice it's not a powder that i'm gonna drink it's definitely do doesn't it doesn't belong to that category of like things that we take in that sense i think of it more of an intimate relationship with self in which you're mm -hmm. really trying to listen you're trying to create space within yourself and if we think about self as a moat a multiple self, right? A self that carry different yeah. parts. When we are able to create that distance or that space better using that, that word is better. We are then able to start to listen and get insight from these different parts, what they need, what they want, what's happening, where is hurting. Obviously, this is a lot too, um, because the way I think about meditation or mindfulness is in the context of psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, right? Like I really do believe yeah. in that intersection. I'm not saying that you're doing that in the therapy session. I really believe in the very Western way also of treatment and, and therapy. But I'm saying that when they are 
intersecting, like when they are parallel somehow to uh, conversing or dialoguing, it can become a very powerful way of being with ourselves and holding ourselves. It can be a very powerful way to embody these parts. So to go back to your question, you know, I like to think of my mindfulness in a more deeper way. And that's sort of like how my work lies to. I tend to go into the more deeper levels. That's not for everyone. And I learned that very quickly, (laughs) right? You're not going to find me like giving you like a 30 seconds real instruction on how to meditate because that's not why I do this work. But you're going to find me asking questions about what is in there that is maybe hard to pause to listen, you know, what is, what's so, what's so scared about taking 10 minutes to just kind of feel the breath in your body or what are you, like, what are you looking for when you're sitting? Um, if it is something you're actually looking for, no. So like all these kinds of questions is something that I think it can become such a productive thing when we are talking about those practices. I think you approach things in a very like real and genuine way that it's like you care so much. And I think you're also so in alignment with like what your style is that it's like you're like, I'm not going to do a 30 second about like how to, to meditate because it's like it's just not right for you and it's just not your approach. And I think that the way you approach some of these things, I really resonate with because I understand we all want these quick fixes. I get it. And sometimes like we do need a quick fix. Sometimes it is like, you know, with some of my tarot clients, it's like, I have an expense coming up. I need to pay it. Can you give me some insight? And it's like, okay, what, you know, like we can look at it and this is where you can start. I can't necessarily, um, restructure your finances in an hour, but I can help you maybe figure out some ways to like get that rent paid that Mm -hmm. you can do it. But I think sometimes like where my frustration lies with tarot and the work I do is that if people sometimes aren't willing to look at some of the trickier things of like, why is it desire is so threatening to me? Why is it that presence is so threatening to me? Like, then not a lot's going to change, you know, like not a lot in your life. Like maybe you can figure out a couple things, but like, I always think like in tarot, whenever someone comes to a reading, it's like, there's the, the top line question. And Mm -hmm. then there's like, what's underneath that, you know? And I'm sure for you with, with how you work with um, clients and stuff, I'm sure it's similar. Like someone's coming in with this, but this is sort of maybe the thing. And I'm like, if you just come to tarot, like this, it frustrates me the most in terms of people asking what their purpose is and where their soul (laughs) is. And I'm like, if you just keep asking, you know, like, what's my purpose versus asking like, why is it? that it's hard for me to connect to my purpose or it's like these little reframes that I'm like, if you don't get that, like you got to investigate this piece, you're, you're never really going to be able to investigate or enjoy this piece, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that like if, it, cause it'll be interesting sometimes like the soulmate thing, I'll be like, well, what does a soulmate mean to you? Or like, or are you dating? And they're like, no. And I'm like, so it's like Amazon prime delivering <laughs> the soulmate. Like what's happening, you know? And I get it. Like, I don't say this out of any criticism or judgment. I say it more as a fascination with human beings. And I wonder for, for you, like, 
if it annoys me and I haven't gone back to school to like, you know, like I, I learned tarot. I didn't have to like go back to school and like learn these things. I didn't have to learn about the brain. Do you get frustrated with how this stuff is talked about on social media and stuff? Or are you really more like, I'm going to just keep going about it my way and trust that in this larger conversation about these things of mindfulness and meditation, like sometimes I'm like, it's just good that people are hearing about these things. Even if I don't agree with the way it's being relayed or I'm like, that's not really meditation. You know, <laughs> like I start coming, becoming like a cop, you know, an ACAP. But I, I go back and forth, like for someone like you, does it frustrate you? Or are you just like, I'm just glad to see it and I'm going to keep my eyes on my own paper? Yeah, I think there is a, it's a great question because it's, um, it's also conflicting, right? Because I can see my own mm -hmm. judgment coming up as in like, why would you do this? Or why would you present this concept, this teaching in this way? Or why would you add a, like a little funny dance with something that it's so, <laughs> you know, uh, important. Yes. And then I noticed that my judgment, I notice like, you know, my own sort of what do am I projecting, which for me, I think mm. I value knowledge and information and, and I, I really value like how you got there, you know, like, and that is mm. for me very important because of, you know, how I grew up and blah, 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 all those things. But that's not true for everyone, right? People don't always have that same shared experience. Yeah. And so for them, what I try to look at it, what happens a lot with this type of stuff is that once people start to look, get into their own path of healing, they want to share it. That's the first thing that happened, right? Like they want to share it with the world. <laughs> yes. They want to put that out there because they feel so excited after they move through those beginning phases that feel kind of odd and weird. They want to share with the world what they learn. And I think that is also, there is something valuable on this. So yes, I try to pass my judgment and I try, I try to pass the way in which we can control this. And I think, again, there is a space for everyone. There are the ones that find value, value sharing a very quick instructional way of mindfulness and, and what these practices are about, then good, you know, like this is maybe a great way for people that are also beginning and connect with that person, with their energy, their presence, the way they speak about it. And then some other people will resonate with why and with what I say and how I say it and the way I teach it, which will be a different crowd. And then I think that's also important that people really also, I think, identify with this, not only through the concept and what you're talking about, but also like who is talking about how they are presenting it. So yeah, I try to like move past my own judgment and I try to honor other people's experience and why they are sharing. Now, that doesn't mean that I agree with using these types of teachings as a way to keep people perpetuating their own suffering and making money out of people's own suffering because you are the one that have the key and nobody else have the key and you are the one that found you know the magic key and then everybody else needs to work really hard to find that key that you only have it that kind of stuff i don't agree and i don't like it you know I mean, you're making me want to, you know, full on make out with you because, yeah, anything that's like predatory in that regard makes me crazy. It really, 
it makes me really mad because I think, how can you take these things that some are which are sacred? I mean, maybe all of it's sacred, to be honest. Like when you're dealing with things like people's brains, maybe all of it is sacred, you know? And then just are like, I don't know. I just, yes, that to me. And that actually, when it comes to meditation, something I love that you really emphasize is that it's not to be approached from this place of making yourself better. That I love all these practices that you're working within that are like kind of your mediums. I love that you don't approach people or healing as like DIY, that you're like, you're not a project, you don't need to be improved. And Obviously, I think in any of those things, or if you have perfectionist tendencies, that's tempting. And it can also be reassuring. If I do this, I will feel this way. Like the the formulaic, you know, false promise of that is tempting, you know. And I appreciate how much, you know, every time I've attended one of your meditations and when I read your newsletter, you always give me something that I really have to chew mm. on that shows to me sort of what the desire to treat myself as like a renovation project actually masks mm. that if I'm mm. like, oh, if I could build up my tolerance to, I think it was the, the last one I attended right before I went to Italy, where it was like, if I could build up my ability to sit in discomfort and stay with myself, mm. can you stay with yourself? Can you stay with yourself? And I loved that you weren't just like, Figure out how to stay with yourself. That's that's the that's the goal, you know. But I loved how much it one, you know, before we went into the meditation, it really sounded like you were just as in it as any other person, mm -hmm. as any other person attending this, even if you know, you may be leading, but you're like, I'm just as much a student in this practice. Mm -hmm. And it's way fucking harder. It's so much harder mm. to ask yourself, what is the temptation to leave myself mm. than it is to just set the goal of, I am always going to stay with myself. Like that's going to, you're going to abandon that in like two days if you make it that long, you know, I think. Whereas when I kept just saying, and it became my mantra when I went to Italy, it was like, just stay with mm. yourself. Just stay with it. Just, I was like, and when I would be really uncomfortable, I would be like, I am building up my tolerance and ability to stay with myself, you know? Or I would be like, what a good opportunity to practice staying with myself, you know? And, um, it was just very funny. And I do believe that these things come to us in these moments and, and things like that. But what made you really connect with, if you treat yourself like a, a project, like it's not going to work, mm -hmm. you know, that it does really have to be coming to meditation, coming to these things as creating space and permission and kindness. Like a lot, like I feel like so much of your work is rooted in kindness and compassion. And I think I'm at a place in my life in this intersection where I'm more in the kindness, I'm more in the practice, I'm more in the space than I'm not. Mm -hmm. But it's still really hard for me to fully believe it's the way. And I know that that, I mean, I think that's conditioning. I think that's America. I think that's a lot of stuff, you know? And that is the journey. I think it is. But it seems like you've arrived at some spot where, like, you're very sure and comfortable that, like, this is the place these things have to come from. And 
I'm curious why and how do you keep yourself there? You know, this, what you are saying and referring to this capacity to stay, this is mindfulness. I mean, this is mindfulness right there, mm. right? Like our choice to remain and to come back and to stay, even though it's hard, even though it's messy, even though it's complicated, even though we want to bend them ourselves, even though we want to grip and hold on to a self-improvement project, right? And that's the thing about this sort of packaging of these practices. We have to be very, we have to stay very aware and, and, and pay close attention to how we are obsessing over these things in the name of self-healing, right? In the name of like mm-hmm. becoming, you know, something we can hold on to to practices and formulas or whatever it is that is happening in the moment in the trend that can just be a one way that we hold on to right like in the buddhist psychology the main source of suffering right that we kind of like can compound in one thing is our thirst or the word is tanha like the, our longing our desire the way we hold on to things and i think that if we look into this idea of self-improvement it can be right like one way that we stay sort of very stricted or kind of like rigid in this idea of pursuing uh, a betterment of ourselves and in in and in fact what we need is actually to just let everything go let everything fall apart for a second and stay what's hurting, what's uh, vulnerable, what's asking for attention. And to me, this is where then the other part of the mindfulness or the other side of the practice that is not often spoken about, but that's compassion, right? And that's where I think is Tara Brock that always talk about that U-turn. So that's where I feel like the shift starts to happen when we are able to stay, but not only stay, we can stay asking ourselves, like, what do I need now? Right? Like with, with, in this context. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the idea of, um, of looking at our capacity for that, it might be a harder route, a longer route, right? Like, um, one that is not mm-hmm. fun because it is sometimes <laughs> like we are just so vulnerable. Um, when I do my monthly meditations, I often bring a topic that is coming up for me because, or in my practice with my clients, because I kind of, you know, because we're all sort of collectively feeling things together, you know? And so yeah. I just try to listen to that and then present it in in the work. I'm interested because I feel like I do always really connect with your newsletter. Like, do you think that also, like, I get asked a lot about how do I strengthen my intuition? How do I follow my intuition? And I had already been in therapy when I started doing intuitive work, but I found this real correlation between when I started doing loving kindness meditation was right around when I started learning tarot and things like that. And I was like, there's such a piece of about like honesty and being willing 
to connect to really like what you do want or what is hurting or what it like this real truth and not to say that people you know like we're all out there lying or whatever but it's like our brain I think is is trying to protect us it's trying you know it's like oh that's painful we don't like that let's avoid it you know or whatever and it was like really interesting for for me finding if you want to increase your intuition you have to increase your capacity for truth you know and to be able to just receive data in a way and not attach meaning to it and just sort of be like that was interesting or that was weird or like okay you know and I wonder like when you do like your newsletters and you plan like the meditation things like that are you listening to your intuition are you trusting that it's a little like, ooh, this this thing keeps coming up and you keep, you know, or like, I'm just going to trust my gut. Like, clients are talking about this. I'm really interested in it. Yeah. Ta-da. Like, that's enough, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's so common to come. This 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 intuition topic comes up a lot, right? I, I bet in your work all the mm-hmm. time, too. It's like that question that it's often somehow brought in, like, where people at the end want to be like, but what is my intuition? Like, how do I know what is my, right? Oh my God. It, I mean, it's from like profesh to emails to I'm at a party and there's always someone who's like, how do I listen to my intuition more? (laughs) You know, or like, or what is intuition? It's something. And it, it, it's become, I feel like in my like thirties and now forties, like it's become like the new, do you have drugs? (laughs) It's like, can you connect me to my intuition? It's like the new, like exciting and illicit thing. Like everyone's like asking about or talking to each other about like, do you, know how to do it and stuff and it's like so as soon as I've been outed as a tarot reader and like intuitive worker people there's always someone who's like yeah can, can I get some of that you know it's like really interesting and it's like it's such a massive question in my opinion mm. it's like it's a massive one also really simple and I think we fight the simplicity mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and it's kind of interesting to me when someone asks me about it I'll kind of quickly do this assessment of, of like wh- where are they at with maybe believing simple truths mm-hmm. like you know because I'm like it's just an inner voice that doesn't have a stake in things that'll sort of talk to you and people are like Hmm, seems too easy. I don't believe it. You know, <laughs> like seems highly sus. And I'm like, I get that, you know, like I had to do my own healing and work to like really be able to sink in and allow it as well. But I was curious, like, because I think I can get insecure sometimes because I don't have training like you do, you know, that I don't have some of the things that I think some people or sometimes you can bolster some of that intuition with of being like, and I have science, you know, <laughs> that I'm curious for someone like yourself who I think is deeply intuitive, is deeply artistic and like all these things. And you've got this training that I'm curious, what is that like for you about connecting to your own intuition, much less connecting others? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when we talk about intuition, I think what we are talking about is trust. Yes. And is also connected with this other thing we have been talking about, which is like who I am, like who am I? I think it is so much connected with this, with the question of, of finding out who we are, which is probably to one of the main pursuits that we all share. Like, and it's not a pursuit that is like we arrive at this finish line. It's something that we are constantly asking ourselves in one way or another, even if we think we're not, 
we are constantly asking, who am I? Who am I in this relationship? Who am I in this situation? Who am I in this career? And it can be a taxing question. It can also be a very liberating question. It can be a very expensive question. It can be so much. But I think the intuition, it's sort of like it leaves in there in the, in the trust that we have mm. or that we don't or that we are constructing and building. And it, it has so much to do with intimacy. And we are not great at intimacy, right? Like we really don't. Yeah especially in America, right? Like it's something that I I've, didn't grow up here, but I, it's so different the way in which, you know, the individual, it's so much more praised that I, I, the idea of like, you know, the individual being its own thing, like as opposed to yeah. say in Latin America or, you know, in Brazil, like you're a unit and, you know, it's great, but sometimes it sucks because everybody knows your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you are always part of something, right? Like there is that sense in there. I even, I was talking to my daughter yesterday. She just came up and asked me like, who are my ancestors? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> hold on. Like, you know, this idea of this sort of like web of people around you that gives a sense of purpose and that gives us a sense of a, of story, of identity, of, you know, I'm not saying that that's not present here, but I think that intimacy is something that we need to work a little bit harder, you know, to, yeah, to feel in within ourselves and, you know, self-intimacy. And that's the conversation that goes, we keep going back to mindfulness because again, that's one of the things that happens, right? When you sit quietly, what are you doing is that you're getting intimate with yourself you're trying to hear, you know, whatever it is, that voice of intuition, you're trying to hear the emotions, the parts, everything that is speaking. And you're trying to listen from a very clear, curious perception. You're trying to listen from a place of neutrality, if you will, you know, which is hard, but it's, it's a place in which we are trying to just sort of like hold all that is happening within us. And so I often normally say that I don't really worry too much about intuition. I don't even think much about it because to me, it's something that just it comes after. It comes after you have done some of other stuff, you know, as in yeah. meeting silence, um, sitting with that discomfort, getting to know your vulnerable parts, when you're moving all those pieces, I feel like intuition, you know, comes to surface. You're not looking, right, for it, for it. Yeah. I was already a very intuitive person, but then when my, like, kind of, unbeknown, I love when therapists, like, manipulate you unbeknownst to you. Not, I mean, not really. But she was, like, gently guiding me sort of to towards Buddhism, you know, because she, I think my therapist understood, like, I have a real side of me that's very pragmatic and I think she was like I think you'll find things for you in this and she was right because like a lot more of the things of sort of like like what does it matter what my intuition is saying if I don't know how to sit with myself if I don't know how to just be quiet like I mean like and I think that I when I really started to pursue intuitive work and I did an in-depth channeling program and all this stuff I was like oh I better understand now you know like if I hadn't 
it's not like I had cultivated any sort of mastery, but at least the fact that I like admitted they existed and I needed it, you know, and I needed to look at my own relationship with, you know, stillness and quietness and like all this stuff, you know, that of course I couldn't hear my inner voice. Like, how are you, you know, like if you'd also don't get aware of how many different pieces of yourself are talking to you, you know, like all these different things had to be sort of sorted out for me, for me to be like, almost like for my intuition to get a microphone, Mm -hmm. then it was like, oh, we can clearly identify it to then amplify it if that's what you want to use. Something I thought was really interesting when I was listening to you on Let It Out and you were talking about boundary, or uh, I think Katie had asked you about your boundaries and your daughter came up and something you said that I loved was I'm trying to teach her how to listen to herself, how to hear herself. What does she need? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what an amazing thing what an and I don't think I mean if if I asked my mom did you think it was important to teach me to like listen to myself I think she would say of course you know like Mm -hmm. but there was no instruction about Mm -hmm. that you know like there was no and I and I get it I I don't she wasn't taught how to listen to herself how in the world would she have taught me and listening to not in terms of listening to the world and then responding, but really listening to me first and then going mm-hmm. outward. And I just thought, I don't know, that just really, it really moved me, to be honest. Like, I thought, like, as a woman hearing you speak about your daughter and just say, I'm trying to teach her how to listen to herself. I was like, that's amazing. That's that's still radical in 2022, mm-hmm. you know, but... I do think a lot of us, like you said, in about like knowing ourselves, this like, you know, it's so interesting to me. American culture is obsessed with knowing ourselves, but then we don't want to look at things like accountability and consequence and all these sort of things or duality that we don't. It's like we want to look at this or be like, I am this, but not think of like, well, there's often another side of the coin Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think we get stuck in all these like binaries Mm -hmm. of like good, bad, you know, valuable, invaluable, like or valuable, not valuable or whatever. And it's like, I love that you always are coming back to these things that kind of like, if we don't know how to listen to ourselves, like we're just going to forever be lost. If we don't know, I mean, the amount of adults I know that are in therapy literally to figure out how to ask for what they need, myself included, mm-hmm. is like shocking. Mm-hmm. Like you would think it's like we come to this earth as babies knowing how to cry and do these, you know, like t- we have all these ways that we communicate to our caretakers what we need in order to survive. And then somewhere along the way, we just like junk it all and then do all this weird stuff versus just saying like, I need alone time or, you know, I need a snack or I need some space or whatever. These millions of things, we just create all these stories or, or something. I don't know what we do instead, but um, I think a lot about mindfulness and meditation and their power to just like organize your mind to sort of figure out how you can more clearly listen to yourself to then orient yourself to be more in that life that serves you. Yeah. You know, as you're saying, like, I was thinking too that I think so much of what happens is that we are so afraid of ourselves, you know, of parts that have been in a role 
for a long time and how much energy we spend on on this in this dynamic right in this cyclic pattern and obviously this is a work of a lifetime that you know it's not something we can just snap our finger we are out of it it's not something like that it's it, it takes also a lot of energy and and effort to to get to know those parts and to get to release that burden that they carry and and then to sort of like you know reconfigurate the dynamic mm -hmm. but i'm very interested in people walking along life unafraid of themselves you know and yeah. like i'm very interested in in that process of like what does it look like to be the container for all that i am and all that i feel and what that looks like for me you know how is that possible and so when you're talking about my daughter like what i really am trying to just you know either mirror to her or not necessarily like teaching her in you know in an instructional way but like showing to her what it look like to just fully inhabit yourself you know from listening yeah. from recognizing your needs from you know saying it uh, out loud to the people around you from being you know responsible and you know getting to know the consequences of what you're putting out mm -hmm. you know and again that's a process because it's not something even though i'm very aware i can see how she can fall in those cracks of like good bad some the, the other day she said to yeah. me like oh you know i'm a, i'm a very bad kid <laughs> because of you know she mess up something i don't know and and I, I i was i sat there and i i wonder i'm like where did where, you know where did you take that kind of statement because obviously i never yeah. used that i never said anything to her and that's how either in school or around or i don't know she got that idea of and and i think we also had a conversation about santa about the naughty list and like <laughs> you know and she asked me she's like what is this thing about like like the naughty and, and and I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's actually not something that it's really the representation of reality because people can be naughty and people can be good all the time, you know, and, and that doesn't just determine their full person, right? Like who they are. Yeah. And so, I mean, if anything, if we spend a one lifetime really just trying to understand and embrace and inhabit all that we are. I think that's good enough. You know, I think that's, I agree. I think that's what like my for entering 40, like 40 is weird. It's like when you, we, we think we're old when we hit 30. No, you're not. You'll see what a, like a warm up that was when you hit 40 or I, I think it starts around 37. You start going like, Oh my God, I'm going to hit 40 soon. You know? And I have been in this process of like so much of what I've chased or so much of what I've said I need to be or whatever. Like, what if my life was just about like figuring out how to fully be myself? Like, what if that's yeah. it? Like, what if, if that's the only thing I define as like my purpose? It seems like I started like really just looking at all these things that like, 
you know, that we have no control over that we're, that we're sort of, I think, projecting our happiness onto or whatever. And I'm like, the only thing I have even a whisper of a chance of control over is myself. And even that I think is like, you know, like not so much. I mean, I think human beings are unruly just by nature, mm -hmm. you know, then I'm like, what if, what if I shifted it to that? Like, what if, I think a big thing for me is honoring that I really do function better if I regard myself as an artist mm. and work that way, kind of regardless of what I'm putting in the world. Like, whether it's a podcast or it's a this or that, it's like, if I think of everything as art, it comes from such a better place of myself, a purer place of myself, I feel way better. And get this, people fucking like it more. <laughs> Whereas if I get so hung up on what the people want, oh, you like me? What do you want from me? What do you want me to give? You know, it, I go from being like open and like, you know, being a, like a mom to the internet of like, tell me children, <laughs> what do you want to being mad? And like, no one gets anything. Like it, it's like five minutes, yeah. you know, like, and it's been this constant lesson for me of like, don't worry about everyone else. Like, just worry about yourself. Like, just, you know, figure out what works for you. Like, of bringing my, my eyes back to my own paper, like, over and over and over again. But those subtle adjustments, if you're willing, I think, to be quiet and go, what feels better? Because embodiment was, like, a whole other thing for me and learning how to, like, yeah. embody stuff and not just stay in my intellect. And when I started learning and, and being like, oh, it feels really different. And, you know, my therapist is like, yeah, because you're embodying it, you know, like it's clicking together in a different way. And I'm like, and then it makes it so much easier to then go outward with it. You know, she's like, because mm -hmm, once again, it's embodied, you know, like it's like made its way down and is the way I sort of think about it and visualize it. And when I moved into a place of being able to embody things more and that be a little less threatening, and I just want to, you know, throw that out for people, if embodiment's really difficult, like there's numerous reasons why that might oh, be. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. You know, that's not the attitude that I will ever be discussing anything like that on this podcast. But anyway, it was like the focus, the goals, all of that changed so much. Yeah when I was able to cultivate a little more presence, when I was able to stay with myself a little bit more, when I was able to be a little bit more embodied, that when I started asking bigger questions of like, what do I want my life to look like? What, when do I feel like I'm at my best? When do I feel like I'm able to like give my, mo you know, give my most to the people or whatever, all of that changed and all the answers changed. Mm -hmm. It was like so much more simple. It was so much more, I think also value driven than just being like, I want to be number one or whatever, you know, like it wasn't all this stuff that society sort of tricks us into thinking we actually want. It was like, it was feelings. It was how I wanted to feel. You know, it was like, this is how I want my life to feel like mm -hmm. this. I want to feel more often like this than not, you know, which was interesting because I think we also like, you know, we spend so much time and like you said, energy. We spend so much energy like hiding from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yet if you can find a way to like feel a little of that or loose or redirect that energy a little bit it's like kind of wild 
how much it can open up. Like it is like one of those things I think you have to sort of experience it. And to your earlier point about like we're healing, we want to share it with everyone. Oh my God. I mean, I've been that evangelist a million times, but I think something I have chilled out on in, and I think the pandemic really did this to me as well, of like, you can't just tell people stuff. You can't just lecture. You can't just, Mm -hmm. you know, always maybe be parental or teaching or things like that. A lot, I think modeling is a lot more powerful, Mm -hmm. you know, and and mirroring for people and being like, and I think for me, sometimes stuff that I needed to embrace for myself, I think I I would keep it very intellectual versus allowing myself to embody it because I'm not sure. I think I was looking for someone else. Like, I think I wanted to, you know, oh, like they're doing that. I can do it too. And it was like such a process of permission. And it changed for me of dealing with my own stuff in this different way and in in a gentler way also uh, combated some of that evangelism (laughs) that I was like, well, just do it. Just live that way. Just be that way. And it was interesting how that did shift with like, you know, friends and family and stuff being kind of like, hey, it seems like you're onto something sort of working for you and things like that, you know, and um, or like you've changed or you just seem happier, you seem more relaxed or stuff like that. And I was like, I've just sort of simplified, you know, I'm just sort of simplified the way that I'm I'm looking at these things or going about them. Um, Before we start to wrap up, I'm curious, like, what are you marinating on right now? What do you feel like? you're thinking a lot about or what excites your brain right now? (sighs) Um, I'm always (laughs) marinating or something. (laughs) That's probably why I I have to do so much embodied practices as well. Like to bring, you know, to come down from the mind to the heart. Um, I think um, as I currently go through this cancer journey, which is a crazy thing to say. I think I'm, I'm really thinking about women in their eighties and their seventies. I'm thinking about longevity, like what that looks like, you know, like what it looks like to arrive at those ages and like so much of, um, the work of, um, advanced practices in Buddhism, like the Tantra practice is, is, is a mentor practice, is a deity practice in which you are like taking those inspirational figures, um, that embody qualities that we're trying to activate. Right. So I'm like doing that a lot. I'm doing a lot of that. I'm doing a lot of like fire pujas where we're like, you know, using that fire energy to sort of like integrate back in the body um this is what is uh, a lot in my mind and then in a way too like sort of like a, a desire to look back from that place of more perspective um and then how that vision can be changed because of the perspective of like having to deal with this sort of like disease right now and 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 how that is part of my healing journey at this moment. And just kind of like thinking a little bit too, when I go to the doctor's appointment, one thought that comes to my mind a lot is why not me? You know, yeah. because I think a lot of the time we think, why me? 
why is this happening to me? And to be very honest, like the question that I come up a lot with is like, yeah, why not me? Right? Like, why would it be different? And so meaning there are so many different stories, like even in this moment that I am in this waiting room for this doctor appointment, like there are other women here that I don't know their lives. I don't know their stories, but they are sharing something similar to me. And so it just kind of, um, that's what happens with, I think, pain, like in suffering, we connect Mm. in our humanity, right? Like there's something in there that connects us. Like we understand that, that language. And so, yeah, I think those are, are the things that I'm thinking a lot about it and, and then, uh, marinating on, um, as I sort of travel through this journey, um, treatment, surgeries and all of that and just slowing it down. Like that's what I, I think that's what I do a lot of the time with my clients is like, okay, let's slow it down. Meaning let's really bring it to basic. Let's really, you know, take it slowly and chew on everything. So I think that's what I'm trying to do too, as I move through this experience, like what does it look like to slow it down? So maybe I will have to slow down work. I'll have to slow down the amount of people I see. I have to slow down the amount of energy I put out. And so recognizing that is important too. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, and there, like, I love what you're saying of, especially in regards to slowing down. I think it's often like, it's so tempting to like, I think, spiral out or be like oh my gosh if I have to move this and that you know blah 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 blah. and it's like slowing down often I think can do this really powerful thing of like recognition of just sort of like we're we're at a different place life life is you know has changed in this moment we don't have to worry about all the like the to-do list and stuff. And there's nothing like health and I think grief or anything to do sort of with mortality to sort of like take a machete (laughs) and just slice through the bullshit of life and be like all that other shit you thought was your stress or what you were worried about or was important. You're like, I could not care less about that now. You know, there's just nothing like it. And I don't know. I think in some ways when I've um, brushed up against that, like, it, I mean, it, it's not best feeling when you're in it, but I think it's also something I've felt a lot of gratitude for in the sense of like, you know, my, my dad died when I was 16 and s- similar to you, I didn't ask why me. I just was sort of like, it can happen. I felt like more, I think a gratitude of awareness of like people can drop dead. That is a thing <laughs> in life, which can happen to us. Like, and I learned that at 16. So it it really like for all the ways that it negatively impacted me that I had to heal, it also positively impacted me in the sense of, I did get into the practice of like, life is short, Mm -hmm. like really young. And like, so like, what do you want to do in, and coming sort of back to that, but there's nothing like, being reminded that we're very fragile beings that need a very specific set of circumstances in order to like exist. That'll be very clarifying, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
and it's tricky too when we're reminded that we're out of control. Like, oh, that all those things you thought you were going to embrace in the new year, like JK, mm-hmm. it's going to be, you're getting a redirect, you know. But where can people find you if they want to connect with your work? Well, I think the better one is my website. I'll link it all. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Instagram. I'm in Instagram too. Um, I'm not very active on it because, you know, Instagram. Everyone should go to your website and just sign up for your beautiful newsletter. And also, you have tons of resources on your website as well. She is also an incredible writer. Like, I just am like, your website and your work that, you know... It, it, it's a treat. Mm, like if, if people are curious or they just need, I think like a little bit of, you know, beautiful contemplation in their email box at times, like you absolutely provide that. And I hope people will welcome that into their email. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Mari is just the best. I super appreciate her joining me today. I can't wait to speak with her again. I feel like I have a thousand questions. I feel like we barely scratched the surface of these like massive things. We didn't even get into Buddhism. But anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.